We're launching a new series of messages where we're going to take an approach from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books in the Bible, the New Testament being all starting with the birth of Christ, but there are images of Jesus way before his birth, because he was at the very beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the even the earth were formed. And so we're going to be looking at different tables in the Bible and we're going to find our seat at each one of those tables and what it means uh, for us. I want to begin today by checking in on your, uh, your junior and senior year English skills. I'm, I'm going to see if you can come back all the way to junior and senior years of high school. For those of you that finished and for those of you that didn't, welcome in. We're so glad you're here. It's a church anyone can come to. Whether you skipped school, did school, still doing school, whatever. I mean, uh, high school was the best seven years of my life. And uh, so if, if, you, if you remember the Charles Dickens iconic classic, A Tale of Two Cities, the, the whole book starts with this incredibly popular phrase. Let's see if you can finish it. Die ball, Duncan, Nagadochus, everybody online right here in Lufkin. Here we go. It was the best of times. It was the Ooh, straight A, everybody, straight A uh, for you. Now, that is a very simple statement that we know. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Uh, if you read a little further, though, the next lines might not be as familiar and might not be as memorized. It says something along the lines of, it was the age of wisdom. It was also the age of foolishness. It finishes by saying, it was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. It's incredible the paradox that you and I can live in where we can experience almost simultaneously the best of times and the worst of times. We can see good things in the middle of bad things and then bad things that happen in the middle of good things. Just when we thought it wasn't, it wasn't gonna work out, it works out. And just when we thought it was gonna work out, it doesn't work out. Now, take into consideration the idea of following Jesus and inviting him to be the savior of your life, the Lord of your life, the ruler of your heart. And we assume that when we accept Christ that everything ends up rosy. It's a slow motion run through a field of daisies. And it, it, it ain't always that. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. It's the best of times. It can be the worst of times. Enter our story, it is Resurrection Sunday. It's the best of times, it's the worst of times. Hours earlier, there was absolutely no hope. The disciples, the 11, had gathered in a safe house for fear of their life. If they had killed their savior, might they be next? And so they had hunkered down, turned down the kerosene lamps. They had drawn the drapes. They did not know what to expect. Their savior had died and they stayed there in the safe house for three days until there's a knock on the door and they, it's, the, it's the password knock. You know, it's like the... And they unlatch the door and there is Mary. And she says, I've just come from the garden. I've just come from the tomb. And he's not there. And it was the worst of times, and now could it be the best of times? Sure enough, a couple of the disciples, John and Peter, they run out to see what had gone on and what was happening. They didn't know what was, could it be true? Could the Savior have risen? Are things different? They get to the tomb. It's empty, but there's also no sign. There's no sign of Jesus. 
The best of times being that over the last three years, they had learned a new way to approach God, that it wasn't just in what they did in the temple, but that he was, he was, he was showing them a new way to trust in him with their heart, and not just in the rules and the regulations, but that he was the embodiment of all that. It wasn't about what they could do to earn salvation. It was about what he would do to give salvation as a gift, that just 72 hours earlier, they were having a Passover meal with him. It was a special holiday meal. It's like a Thanksgiving dinner, but instead of just celebrating Thanksgiving, it's, it's celebrating back in the day when the Israelites were exodused out of Egypt, where God brought them out of slavery and into a promised land. And as they are celebrating that Passover meal, they didn't realize it would be their last. It was the best of times, the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom. Oh, God is revealing the scripture. Jesus is revealing the scripture. And then foolishness, they couldn't even understand the resurrection. And yet Jesus, in the middle of that Passover, he says, I'm the bread, I'm the blood. Like, you need to know it's all about me. And he washes their feet and they, they go to one of his favorite places, the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're singing a hymn together. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times when a brigade shows up. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. I mean, they were dipping chips and salsa and guacamole an hour earlier. And now Judas is kissing him on the cheek and they're handcuffing him and putting him in the back of the squad car. Jesus is tried in six different trials by night, accused for things that were not true, but yet completely true. He was the son of God, but he wasn't blasphemous. He was just telling the truth. And he's crucified in front of his followers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Now, on that same day of Resurrection Sunday, we, we see another story taking place, and we see the emotions of wisdom and foolishness. We see the feelings of hope and despair. We see the unraveling, the, 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 the uncovering of the best of times and the worst of times. We go to the, the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, and it starts like this. On that same day, that same resurrection Sunday, Two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, these two disciples were not part of the 12 that we read. They were part of the larger group of disciples. Jesus didn't have just 12 followers. He actually had hundreds and hundreds of followers, but then he had a larger group, like 72, and then he had his 12, and then he had his three that would go into the inner courts of the garden. Then he had his one. Who was his one? It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It was his father. Many times Jesus would go away from everybody else and spend time with his one, his closest, his closest ally, his closest friend, his closest love, his own father, not Joseph, but God. I mean, how arrogant of us to think that we can just go through life without taking time with God, to separate ourselves a little bit and just get away from the crowd and spend some time. You know, we're in a season of 21 days of prayer. And even though that might sound a little overwhelming to come and join us Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. at one of our locations, Nacogdoches and Lufkin, it's an incredible habit to make for the rest of the school year, for the rest of the year of 2022, to work on the habit. Say, man, how could I even pray for an hour? When, when, when you show up, there's, there's about 15 minutes of worship and some devotion. There's a little bit of a time for you just to reflect and pray. And then we come together and we pray over a few things. It's led. It's very simple hour of prayer. But you may be 
overwhelmed with that so you don't come. Let me tell you, if you just show up, it's a great habit to start just showing up. Just show up. Just set some time aside, whether it's here, there, or in your own chair. Set some time aside. That's what Jesus did. And these disciples were not part of the 12, but they were part of the bigger group, the 72. And they were on the way to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles. They were walking away. They were in despair. They had seen Jesus die. They had heard some things about him being resurrected, but they just couldn't believe it. They were slow to believe. We'll see that in a minute. The story goes on that they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. I mean, they were like, did you watch the Oscars this year? And Will Smith and Chris? No, that's not what they were talking about. They were talking about Jesus. They were talking about the last seven days. They were talking about the craziness of Jesus dying and all the stuff around it. And here's what's crazy, like crazy town on the road to Emmaus. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They're just walking, minding their own beeswax. And all of a sudden, the third guy just starts walking with them. Hey, guys, how you doing? How are you doing? Now, he just starts walking with them. Now, you'd think their minds would be blown, but we understand that they were, they were kept from recognizing him. Here's what's crazy about Jesus. You know what's crazy? Here's what's crazy. Jesus, when he's resurrected, he shows up a few different times to people, and they don't recognize him. Mary, who was the first at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. She thinks he's just there doing some landscape and taking care of the Garden of Gethsemane but, or, or taking care of the Garden Tomb. But, but then he calls her by name and she, she recognizes him. I just want you to know he knows you by name, by the way. Like he knows, before you, before you ever knew him, he knows you. Yeah. But they were kept from recognizing him. The, the disciples were, they were sad. They were hopeless. They went out on the boat and they, there's a guy on the seashore. They don't even know who the guy is. He's saying, hey, throw your nets on the other side. So they do. They catch a huge catch of fish. They're about ready to sink their own boat. Then their eyes are open. It's like, oh, it's Jesus. The same with these two on the road to Emmaus. They just didn't recognize him. I don't know if it was Jesus' hand that, that put a temporary blindness on their uh, aha or could it be, is it possible, it's not in your notes, you could jot it down somewhere, but is it possible that they couldn't see past the crisis to see the one their crisis was centered around? Like, could it be that you and I, we say, where are you, Jesus? But could it be possible that sometimes the crisis feels so big that we don't see Jesus right there walking with us? That we, we don't understand his presence because the crisis has felt like it sucked the air out of the room? Could, could it be, is it possible though, that he's closer than you think? Can I tell you the answer is yes. Many times we come into church and we say, Jesus, we welcome you into this place. And the truth is long before you ever got here, he's here and he's inviting you. Then in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the middle of you, you, you doing, a, doing your own thing, having your own theories about God, having your own theories about Christianity, he meets you right where you are in the middle and he's closer than you think. And here's, here's what Jesus does. He says, hey guys, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now, pause. Do you think Jesus knows what they're discussing, yes or no? Yes. Of course he's Jesus. He's like Jesus, okay? 
He, he knows, but I love how you know how you ask questions. Hey, did you finish your did you finish your dinner? You ask your kids questions so they can see that they obviously have not touched the green beans. I know you want another roll. You cannot eat your seventh roll without eating green beans. Like, how many times do I have to tell you? Like, like Jesus loves to ask questions all throughout Scripture. We see Jesus, we see God asking questions. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. What are you doing as you walk along the road? And here's what happens. As they're walking, Jesus, who they don't recognize as Jesus, who they're sad about, here's what they do. And he says, what are you guys talking about? They stood still, their faces downcast. They like, they're on a journey and they stop. And they're like, you're asking us about what happened? And here's their response. They say, one of them named Cleopas asked him, anybody named Cleopas in the room want to see you after service and say, hey, how you doing? And congrats to your mom. (laughs) Cleopas, he asked him, here's what Cleopas says. Bruh. Have you been living under a rock? And Jesus is like, (laughs) for three days. (laughs) No, that's not what, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. Bruh. I told, I affectionately told my son, (laughs) I ain't your bruh. Call me bruh again and you're going to be broken. Okay. (laughs) Bruh. But in essence, that's the JY version. Uh, That's the 2022 message translation. But here's what the scripture says. They say, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Where have you been? Have you been off social media? Have you not been checking the tweets? It's all over the news stations. What things he says? (laughs) He doubles down. They says, "Uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Hey, pause. When you want to spend time with Jesus in prayer, instead of trying to think of all the things that you want to say to him, can I just show you that sometimes Jesus just wants to ask you questions. Instead of you talking all the time, it's okay. I want you to know it's okay to just sit and just say, Jesus, do you have anything you want to say to me? That's just as much of a powerful time in prayer, listening to what he might want to ask. It's amazing that when he begins to ask us questions, how it it helps uncover things in our life. They say, you know, about Jesus. He was powerful in word and deed and before God and all the people, like, man, he was doing stuff, turning water into wine, walking on water, raising the dead. It was crazy. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Israel was under Roman occupation at the time, and they were waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, to come. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word. It means the anointed one. The word Christ is a Greek word. It means the anointed one. So when we say Jesus the Messiah, we say Jesus Christ, it's Jesus the anointed one in different languages, the anointed one that would redeem Israel, make a redemption. But they were looking that it was going to be a political thing. It was going to be someone back in the White House there in Rome. It was going to be, that was going to be the answer to all their issues and all of the inflation and all the, the donkey gas prices. If they just get their person elected, the, the Messiah is going to come set everything straight. So he's going to bust through the golden door and grab Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate by the, by the big toe and like bam, bam on Flintstones go 
Hey, sport, I'm back. They didn't know what they didn't know. That Jesus was coming to redeem, but he was starting with a heart, not with a political system. They go on to say, this is all happening. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. He died, it's been three days. Now, this is a worst of times moment because in Jewish superstition, if someone was dead for three days, for those first three, the spirit might hover over that body for a while. And in three days, you never know that person could come back to life. But after three days, it was over. That was their superstition at the time. This is why when Lazarus was raised on the fourth day, that was so powerful and so mind-blowing. It's like Jesus showing up in the, in the cemetery. You know why he had, you know why he called, La he said, Lazarus, come forth? Because he just said, come forth. It would have been like crazy up in there. Everybody, oh. Walking dead right in the middle of Jerusalem. Walking, living, I don't know. But fourth day, it's showing, hey, I'm gonna go past your superstitions. You know, I wonder if some of us have, have seen Jesus as the four-leaf clover, the rabbit's foot. When I get into a bind, I, I'll rub the genie lamp and maybe Jesus will show up. He's way beyond a superstition. He's the son of the living God that knows you and will walk with you and call you by name. They go on and they say, in addition to this, some of our women, they, 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 they like, they went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. What? Yeah, didn't find his body. I just love Jesus. I, Jesus probably walked, are you serious? <laughs> you know, he's like, <laughs> it's me, but they don't know him. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So like, man, I don't even know what's going on here. And man, you want to talk about the best of times. They, they, they said he's, he's not there, but they didn't see his body. It's the worst of times. And in the middle of all this, do you know that there are three significant words on the journey of life that we just read that maybe you inadvertently skipped over? but that you have said those or are going to say, or maybe you're saying these three incredibly significant words right now. Three significant words on the journey of life. If you're taking notes, these are, these are tucked away in this, in this story. And if, if you just read it to just read it, you may miss it. But it's these three powerful words, these two disciples walking away from everything they thought they knew. They said, we had hoped. We had hoped that he was who he said he was. We had hoped that he was going to redeem everything. We had hoped. It was the best of times, but now it's the winter of despair. Now, why is hope so important? I think it was Colin Powell that said, hope isn't a strategy. Hope is, you can't just have hope as your vision. Like, hope is not enough. You gotta have something of, of substance. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, as Christ followers, we understand that it's not hope that really makes a huge difference. It's without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's, 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 it's by 
It's by faith, we're, it's by grace we're saved through faith. Like, believing that he did what he said he'd do. Like, you, it's, it's, it, look everybody, without faith it's what? Say it again, say it strong, it's what? It's impossible to please God. We need faith, so hope, you're right. It's just like a, who needs hope? You gotta have faith to please God. But the author of Hebrews gives us the definition of hope, and look what the author says. He says, now faith is the substance of things, what for? Hoped for. The apostle Paul in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's not just this cute little wedding thing you do after canon in D. You don't just read this at weddings like Paul is saying, hey, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. And I don't know about you, but hmm, I got some work to do because you know what? I'm not very patient and I'm not always kind and sometimes I do envy. And my wife says, oh, don't be boasting. You know why? Because I'm not the embodiment of love. Do you see how the apostle Paul personifies love? Love is patient, love is kind because he understands that love is not a feeling, it is a person. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy, Jesus does not boast. He could have shown up on the road to Emmaus, I'm back, baby! But he just walks with them. At the end of the love chapter, the Apostle Paul says, these are like the three most important things. These are so critical in your life, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And what I want to say to you is, you won't really have faith that has real strength and anchor to it unless it's tethered to something greater. And that's the love of Jesus, that Jesus would love you so much that he would meet you where you are. That can give you faith, but the hinge point between faith and love is hope. Faith, hope, and love. And the truth is, hope is a huge component to our walk with Jesus. And when hope gets derailed, or hope gets sidelined, or hope gets delayed, we respond to that in different ways. Well, I mean, we had hoped that that the marriage would have survived. We had hoped that, we had hoped that the chemotherapy would have worked. We had hoped this wasn't our last Thanksgiving together. We had hoped that our kids would have made better decisions. We had hoped that there would have been grace. We had hoped that we could have gotten past it. We, we, we had hoped. And when hope gets delayed or derailed or deferred, number one, the heart gets sick. And I don't mean like a heart sick, like a romanticized, fantasized heart. I mean the Jewish heart in which is being written about all through the New Testament. When they say heart, it's not an emotion, just an emotional thing. Think of it this way. When the authors of the New Testament write about the heart, it's the integration and the intersection of your thoughts, your emotions, and your desires. The way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. And so when hope gets delayed in your life, you are hoping for something and then you feel hope less, your thoughts and your emotions and even your desires can get twisted and get distorted. And all of a sudden you're thinking things you'd never think before. 
or your emotions are gone haywire and you're upset with people you ought not to even be upset with, or you don't know why you're, you're so frustrated over that because hope gets delayed. And what happens when hope gets delayed is dis- disappointment sets in. And when I'm disappointed, when I, when, I'm, when, when, I, when I experience that gap, it's this gap between my expectations of what I hoped for and the reality of what I'm in, that space between expectations and realities, that's a tough one. Expectation of marriage, reality of marriage. Oh, this, this isn't like, you know, <laughs> 10 things I hate about you, awesome rom-com. This is like tough. Expectations of the job, reality. Expectations of your walk with Christ, reality. And in that space, we can get hopeless and disappointed. And when you're disappointed like that, you, you can live in denial. Nope, no, 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 it's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. I'm not gonna worry about it. And you don't deal with the realities. Or you can get angry. When things don't happen the way you get angry, you get angry with people, you get angry with life, you get angry with God. How come, how, how, how come you did this, God? Instead of being the God that would send his one and only son because he loved you so much, would walk beside you on the road away from Jerusalem, the road away from where you really should be, we basically put a cold shoulder or put a stiff arm to God. We can also become apathetic, deal with apathy, which is like a kind of a who cares situation. I'm just going to live my life. This is where those two disciples were walking away from the rest of the disciples, isolating themselves. I've seen it in church. I'm telling you dozens of times, men and women, couples, young and old, they go through a tough spot in life. And instead of leaning into Christian community, they step out of Christian community. When, when the going gets tough, they go away from church and people that are, would walk with them and they try to walk away on the own road to wherever is their comfort zone. That's the best time to walk in. That's the best time to be in church. When like the ducks ain't in a row, when things aren't okay, we've said it a million times at Timber Creek. It's okay not to be okay here. We don't want you to stay that way, but it's okay. We want to help you get beyond the not okay moments. But don't go isolate yourself in the middle of not being okay. We had hoped that he was going to redeem everything. And it's not what we thought. Now, we get in there and what a terrible ending to the story (laughs) where they just walk to Emmaus and Jesus is like, yeah, stinks. But there's good news on the journey. I want to give you three thoughts on why it's good news on a journey of disappointment. Number one, Jesus will show up in the middle of your disappointment. I've got good news for you. Those that are trying to strive to earn Jesus' love, you cannot make him love you more and you cannot make him love you less. He loves you. He'll walk with you. He'll show up in the middle of your disappointment. So you don't have to fix stuff. When I finally get things together, when, when I finally break that habit, then I'll show up, then, then I'll start trusting you. Once I can get things figured out, once I got all the answers to my questions, then he's gonna show up in the middle of your questions. You can still question 
You can still wonder, do you know in the book of Revelation, there's this image, this vision of what things are going to look like after Jesus comes back and we're in heaven and this John the Revelator, he's, he's writing this imagery that he sees of heaven and there's this throne room and it's like an orchestra pit by the throne and in the orchestra pit are martyrs, those that have died for their faith in Christ. And here's what they're saying. As cherubim surround Jesus saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, every single side of Jesus is holy. Whoa, now here's another side. Holy, whoa, this is awesome. Holy. The martyrs down here, here's what they say. When will our blood be avenged? Now, if you don't catch that, let me help you. They're asking a question in heaven. They're saying, why come, why come you haven't done this yet? When are you going to show up? When, when are you going to do this? And sometimes I want you to know you're going to ask some questions. Why, God? How come? Don't you even care? There's even questions in heaven. But Jesus is faithful and he's holy on all sides. And he sees you where you are. And it doesn't mean that you're going to have the answer to every question, but you can't have the answer that you're looking for, and that's him, which is number two. Jesus is the answer to your disappointment. They don't even realize they're walking with the answer. Can I tell you something? Some of you, oh, man, I just got my life. Just give me Mrs. Wright. How long must I wait, oh, Lord, for my queen? How long must I wait for Mr. Wright? And you think that the boy or the girl's gonna be the solution to the disappointment. Get ready. Get ready. That's what Janet thought. That's what she thought. Her mind has changed. The truth is, we want Jesus again to be that four-leaf clover, that rabbit's foot, to give us the solution to the problem. He's the solution. He's the answer. Instead of fixing always the crisis, we have Jesus to be the, to be the buoy, to be the, to, be the, the solid, to be the stability in the middle of the waves. He's the answer to our disappointment. Now, Jesus is going to He's going to tell them something here, and he's going to use words that almost sound condescending, but in this culture, it's not condescending. It's just a word that we would consider condescending. Here's what he says. He says, he says to them, oh, how foolish you are. Now, he doesn't mean you're idiots. He means, oh, how blind you are. Oh, how naive. Oh, you don't know what I know, but I'm going to tell you something now. Like he's about ready to reveal foolishness. They just didn't know what they didn't know. But he goes on to say, how naive of you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Slow to believe. I wonder if sometimes there are some of us, myself included, that were slow to believe. Jesus has been trying to reveal himself to you, and you're like, well, if I see this, or well, if I can get this question answered, or well, if it makes sense to me, as though Jesus needs to fit into your brain, where, where Jesus needs to surrender himself to you? See, this is the challenge of scripture. 
People love the scripture when it works for them. But when the scripture begins to show something to us that may mean we need to change or we may need to shift gears, oh, no. <laughs> I like this this way. Jesus, don't get in my business. I like my Jesus nice and tidy and clean and let me live my life. But can I just ask the question, like if he's really who he says he is, the son of the living God of the cosmos, don't you think he ought to have permission to challenge your perspective? Don't, don't you think God ought to have permission to challenge what you think. That's called surrendered living. Not my will, but his be done. And Jesus says, you've been slow to believe things that have been written. And I, and I wonder if like, you know, some people I've heard him say, you know, if I could see a, like a Bible style miracle, where it's like, I'm, I don't know, like an arm grows out or H2O to Merlot. It's like the priest that got stopped by the cop for, for you know, swerving on the road. He says, you know, Father, have you been drinking? And, and uh, he says, no, I've just had water. He says, well, what's that, what's that, in, that in that cup? And he says, oh, the good Lord did it again. <laughs> Turned water into wine. <laughs> Rabbit trail. Jesus goes on and he says, you've been slow, slow to believe. And beginning with Moses, which Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. Beginning with Moses and how many of the prophets? Say it strong, how many? All the prophets. From Genesis to Revelation, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. See. Many people think the Bible is some stories, but really it's a story. And the main character ain't you. The main character from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus. Now, Jesus shows us how to read the word because they have been reading in a different way. He shows us the real way to read the Bible. Here's how you do it. Option one, you can do it this way, and many people do it this way. Option one, read the Bible as if it's all about you and what you gotta do to be blessed. Then it becomes a rule book, then it becomes regulations, and as long as I keep my nose clean, and as long as I walk that straight and narrow, and look, the church was guilty for decades trying to teach behavior modification, get, you, get the hell scared out of you, versus getting this love of Jesus in us. I don't stay faithful to my wife because I'm scared, because I made a commitment to her and a covenant and till death do us part. I love her. It's not because of vows, it's because of love. So because of my love, I keep the vows. If you love him, you'll obey him. It's not if you obey him, then you'll learn to love him. If you love him, you'll learn to obey him. But option one is, hey, read the Bible and like figure out the formula on being a good, a good person. Or option two, the way Jesus intended it, read the Bible as if it's all about Jesus and what he has done for you. From Adam and Eve, he could have been the fruit. Eve saw the fruit and it was pleasing to the eye. Oh, Jesus is so pleasing. 
It was good for gaining wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. Desirable for nourishment. He's the bread of life. He's the embodiment of everything you'll ever need. But they fall short. They choose something besides Jesus. They choose something besides God. Then they're naked and afraid and ashamed of themselves. Instead of going to God, they hide from God. So God kills an animal, wraps them up so they're not naked anymore. Jesus is the animal. Jesus is the covering. All of the story of the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus said it himself. All of the scripture is about him. So he reveals it to them on the road. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. I love this about Jesus. They're like, they're beginning to walk into the village. He's like, hey, see you guys. And they're like, I don't know. They're talking, Doug, what are you going to do? I don't know, Cleopas, what are you going to do? And so they say, he went into state. Don't back it up. I'm sorry. They urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. So it's gotten late. It's almost over. They don't got headlights. They got Reeboks. That's it. And so Jesus went in to stay with him. Number three, good news on the journey. Jesus loves to respond to our invitations. I don't know if Jesus would have walked with them into the dinner table or not. But when they invited him, he said, absolutely. Friends, I wonder, maybe Jesus isn't helping you with your business because you've not invited him into your business. Could it be that there is a habit, a holdup, a hangup, a regret, and you feel it, you feel guilt, you might even be wearing some shame, but you've not invited Jesus into the equation. Invite him in. He loves to respond to your invitations. So they come into the house. And when he was at the table, and pause, these next few weeks, we're going to find tables throughout scripture. And we're going to see your place and Jesus' place at the table. I hope you don't miss a week. It's going to be some stories that I think you'll be surprised to see Jesus. He sat at the table with them and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he began to give it to them. What a powerful moment. Now, here's the next moment. As he's breaking the bread and handing it to him, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him. And I don't know if it's when the crust began to break and, and he handed it to him that Cleopas happened to notice his, his, his robe move and, and there was an open hole in his wrist. And they went, <gasps> I don't know if when they broke the bread, all of a sudden they were translated back to a hillside when a little boy gave him some bread and some fish and Jesus prayed and with that same kind of bread just, and he kept on handing out bread to thousands. I, I don't know if it's, he broke the bread and it rushed them back to the Passover meal when he said, 
I'm the bread. But in that moment, they see Jesus. They see him. Whoa, wow. And here's what stinks. Very next line in the story. And he disappeared from their sight. It's like, oh, ta-da. And as he disappeared and the bread falls to the table, they look at each other. They look at the bread. They look at the empty chair. And they say, oh, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They were with Jesus. They were feeling something. There was something happening on the inside. As they were close to Jesus, they just didn't see it until they saw it. And then they put two and two together. Mary couldn't see it until Jesus called him by name. The disciples couldn't see it on the seashore of Galilee until he said, come on, have breakfast. There's just, there's just something about your heart maybe burning within you. It may be a we had hoped good time or the worst of times, but I want you to know Jesus will give you what you need when you need it. He's that kind of savior. So as we finish today, how do you respond to that heartburn at the table? How do you, how do you respond to this? Well, these guys make some very specific next steps, and that's what I want to finish with today. They take some very important next steps in the rest of the story. They don't just sit at the table. Here's what happens. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now, remember, it was evening, almost dark, but they couldn't wait. They had to respond to what they had seen. There are some of us in the room that the way you need to respond in this moment to Jesus, in the moment of your life, in the middle of hoping for of the best of times, or maybe it's in the middle of the worst of times, you got to re-engage urgency. There's got to be an at once, like even in this moment, stop delaying. Oh, if I just see him raise the dead, if I could just see a modern day miracle. Do you know when Jesus raised Lazarus, that's when the chief priests didn't turn around and say, oh, now I've seen what I need to know. That's when they decided to kill him, the Bible says. You can see Jesus do all kinds of things in other people's lives and still turn a cold ear to him, cold heart to him. Re-engage urgency today. It's time to turn some things around. Don't wait till everything's perfect. Let him meet you in the middle of your situation even now. Also, you need, your part in this story is you got to identify the road you're on. They obviously understood, whoa, we're going in the wrong direction. We need to make a turn. That's what modern, that's just the definition of what repentance is. Repentance is, isn't crying and feeling really bad and crying and yelling really loud prayers and coming to an altar. Repentance is simply changing direction. That's what repentance means. I change my mind and I change direction. And maybe you need to identify the road you're on. It's time to change direction today. After they go back to Jerusalem, there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. They didn't go to Jerusalem and just solo it. Okay, you gotta get with the right people, everybody. 
This is part of why we do groups and encounter and tables of 10. We want to create opportunities for us to get with people that are walking on the same roads where there's some, oh, you, you too. Oh yeah. Me, I, I, yeah. And make connection. It's great to come to a Sunday morning experience. This has its place of incredible priority for you and your children. But there's also an importance of assembling together and breaking bread together with people that are on the same journey together. And then those two, Cleopas and his friend, they told him what had happened and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It wasn't when Jesus prayed a holy prayer. It wasn't when he showed up onto the road. It wasn't when he, you know, when he said, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our plate. There was something about just being in that kind of personal place with Jesus. You gotta, friends, listen. You gotta see Jesus as personal. He's not a philosophy to follow. He's a person to love. And he wants to sit at the board table and at the coffee table and the dining room table. He wants to sit at the lawyer's table. He wants to sit at the decision table. Let him. Invite him in. He wants to sit at the table of your heart. He loves responding to invitations. All our locations, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And here's an invitation that Jesus would give to you, not Jeremy, not your pastor. This is just me helping you do business with God. If you're here today and your heart is burning within you that you're, you're missing something, the antidote to the disappointment, a savior who loves you, someone who will walk with you. Maybe you've invited him to be your savior and Lord, but you've drifted or you've never really taken the time to step off the throne of your own heart and invite him in. Today's a great day to begin walking with Jesus. So if that's you at one of our locations, listen, re-engage that urgency right now. And if you say, Jeremy, I, 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 I need to make a shift today. I need to invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior today for the first time or a fresh time. If that's you just right now, just put a hand right up in the air and then you can put it down. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir, in the back. Anybody else across this room, across Nacogdoches right now? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. You don't have to raise an arm for Jesus. Jesus sees your heart way before he sees a hand, but, I, but it's just important to make that urgent moment. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Thank you, sir. I saw it, buddy. I saw that, buddy. Okay. In your own words, you just simply say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Thanks for not being mad at me. Thank you for meeting me where I am on this road. I don't even know what all I need to do, but I want to give you my heart. I don't even know what all my next steps are, but I want, would you help me? Would you give me a fresh start?
Thank you, Jesus. And for those of you that are in the room, this is the second prayer. Maybe you've been traveling down the wrong road or maybe there's been some disappointment and it's kind of derailed you or it's delayed you and ugh, you, wanna, you just wanna, you wanna get back on track. If that's you, just put a hand up. I wanna pray for you. Yeah, me too. Jesus, may we recognize you that you're not a God that wants to point a finger. You're a God that wants to break bread. You're not a savior that wants to give you a to-do list at the table. You're a savior that wants to feed us at the table. And so we invite you in, Lord. May we be sensitive and aware, open our eyes to see you more clearly and more quickly in the everyday walk of life. And we'll be quick to say thank you. God, over the next few weeks, I pray that these empty seats in this service would be filled by invitations, not only of you, Jesus, to their heart, but us to people that are in the middle of the best of times or the worst of times, that are looking for an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Thank you, Jesus, for being that answer. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said a good amen.